Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, joined as always by my co-host, Matt Willoughby, after a one-week hiatus, which we have not done since the inception of this show. It felt weird. It did feel very weird. Uh, I was not a fan. Let's not do it again. Unless, you know, we decide to take a break between seasons, which, you know, maybe we have to. But uh, we can find other stuff to fill in a break between seasons. I was like, I was trying to think at the beginning of this podcast, like, what is a sufficiently uh, large life event that would require us to maybe take a one week break on this? And turns out the answer to that is moving houses, uh, which is exactly as fun as it sounds like it is. Which is none at all. Which is to say none at all. Yeah, moving sucks and I hate it. Yeah, moving is literally the worst uh it's funny to me that we uh we didn't even take a break at the birth of your son so maybe we just planned a little better I for mean, that one in fairness i took a break but like i, I think we mentioned this on on the uh akala episode before our break started but with with uh that previous production break it was a lot easier because the game we were playing was link's awakening and you can like you can burn through a lot of link's awakening in a short time if you have to um this game just like it requires so it's much a more lot time. Of game. Yeah. And so I don't think we could have like, I, like there's not room in my schedule to have played enough of that game of this game up front to have pre-recorded that many episodes. So yeah, it would have been, it, it would have been really rough. I mean, we did pre-record a few during our season, like our season in between the seasons, right? Where we were releasing some older bonus content. Like we did, we were playing breath of the wild during that whole time and we have now caught up to where we are recording episodes of the things that we have played that week and it's kind of a lot of game and i'm kind of wishing we had uh taken a little more time maybe to get a little more ahead or maybe uh if you weren't moving it might have been a good point for a season like a week off just to get back ahead because it's it's a lot like trying to do all of this every single week is it's a lot of game no doubt it's a time commitment all that being said we are now recording from a new venue this is uh casa 2.0 casa 2.0 indeed it's got yes. a nice courtyard it's a very very snazzy linden you yeah, did it's good. hot you did. You it did is good. hot in texas this it is week. it is very hot in texas it's always june in texas is yeah it's a it's a whole thing and this one is no exception but indeed and we're just making it hotter because we're smoking cigars so i don't know if we're just like masochists <laughs> but uh so it's like our our own our own bad decision making is contributing to this know, state of affairs yeah that all that to say uh beginning of a new era i think we're gonna have a lot of great uh audio memories out out in this courtyard so. it, it will be a good time for sure all that being said glad to be back here recording another episode with you matt and i am glad to be here with you and you know who else i'm glad to be here with recording another episode of sacred realms a zelda retrospective podcast would that be our blah, 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 blah guest that would be indeed our air horn uh, sound effect here guest that is once again the marvelous i think last time i called him the wonder from down under and i i never thought to check in with him on whether or not he actually uh was comfortable enough <laughs> with that, offended by that, with or that not? moniker for me to repeat it but regardless you know him you love him he is cody davies of zelda Zelda Universe. Cody, how you doing? You know, ye howdy, as I 
as we always say, here in Texas <laughs> where we are. Here in Texas, which I've which I've actually recently learned, you have a very long history with. Um, there was a there's an enlightening Twitter thread that we were all a part of, in which I learned that uh, from from what I gather, you actually invented Texas. Yeah, it was a it was a while ago, but you know, just one of the things that I it was just a fun thing to do at the time. Gotcha. Just yeah. something to do on the weekend, right? Yeah, yeah invent Texas. Yeah. Well, fair enough. We appreciate you for inventing Texas. It's a uh, it's a good place to be, even though it is just really hot. <laughs> you say it's a good place to be, but actually, Texas is kind of like a depressing hellhole the last month or two. So. Well, that's true. <clears throat> well, yeah, can't 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 pretend that there aren't those uh, nasty, lingering political and human rights issues. Yeah, I was gonna say this is not a podcast in which we uh, in which we uh, litigate the uh, the. Uh, the the gross variety of um, humanitarian issues <laughs> that our state is currently perpetrating upon its, its upon itself. But, yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't great. invent that part. I, I left it alone um, after seven days when I created it. You know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cody's divine will is no longer present in Texas. He bears no responsibility. I'm glad that you mentioned that because um, I would have hate what I the divine hated. will of seven day creation or what? Well, no, I mean, like, you know, he he started it with intention and then left it to 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 do its own thing. You know, it he, he set it on a he set it he set it on a trajectory. Right. Well, fair enough. And then and then it just it just went and did its own thing. I'm glad that you uh, I'm glad that you could give us that disclaimer, Cody, because the last thing I want for you um, out of this episode of the podcast is to receive a bunch of Twitter hate mail from mistaken fans of Sacred Realms pod thinking that you, in fact, are um, omnipotent in the affairs of Texas and that all of these terrible things are somehow uh, your fault, which we are saying unequivocally they are not. They are not. Yep. Turns out. Well, you know, just good to good to know. I'm just down here in Australian Texas at the moment. It's the start of winter here in in Australian Texas, so uh, it's nice and cold. Is uh, you're from Adelaide, right? Yeah. Is that like a, a very Texasy part of Australia? I I confess I don't actually know that that many real facts about Australia. You know, but, Australia is basically just Texas sans guns. Look, so I can I can go ahead and just for you, I will bring forward part eight Australia facts um, <laughs> into the uh, in you know into the front. Um, so basically, South Australia is I just I'd say the climate is similar to Texas. Um, it's a sort of somewhat deserty sort of climate, um, lower humidity. Um, you know, goes up to high temperatures during the summer and then goes down to, like, not cold enough for snow during the winter. Um, Mm. So, yeah, the the Texas in terms of, I guess, various politics, I guess you could say, is Western Australia and Perth because they're the ones that are always like we could split off if we wanted to, like we could be our own country. (laughs) that's, That's a fun line of reasoning. Um, Man, so they've always been they've always been that state that's like, oh, you know, you eastern coast states because ninety percent of Australians live on the east coast, and then Perth is on the west coast, and there's a huge desert in between. So they've always felt a bit, you know, like, oh, you know, we do our own thing. You know, why do we have to? Why do we have to deal with these? You know, those eastern Australians. 
a notable famous resident originally of Perth, Matt, is uh, Formula One driver Daniel Ricardo, which uh, now makes a ton of sense. We do. We do love Danny Rick. We do love Danny Rick. And Danny Rick loves Texas. So the, the pieces are all kind of falling you know, into place now. I, I've sense. traveled internationally a bit and I've met a lot of like weirdly, I've met a lot of Australians in various parts of the world. Pretty much anywhere that I've traveled internationally besides South America, I've met Australians on the course of those travels and they all just like love texas for some reason and i'm i've never really questioned it because the females are pretty attractive so i just kind of go with it <laughs> uh and uh he's, he's talking about the female kangaroos he find them to be a marvelous specimen sure uh but anyway it was uh they they love texas i don't know why but it's it's fun Australians are wonderful people. Cody Davies among those among that group of wonderful people. I was gonna, I was gonna, and Australians. I was gonna ask Cody if he loves Texas, but as the creator of it, he might be a little too emotionally close to, to, the, <laughs> to the topic to answer that question. So, yeah, no, it's a it's a conflict of interest. So, right, yeah, we can't have that. Cody, on a serious note, how are you doing? Good. Did you win your reelection? Uh, it hasn't happened yet. It's only been like. A month since I was last on this show, so. Um, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, no, that's not until November, so I'll tell you whenever my next episode is after my re-election, I'll let you know. All right, perfect. Sounds good. Well, we do, of course, have a fun section of Breath of the Wild to get into this week. It's going to be a little bit of a different one. We had, I would say, far less structure around th- around this one than we have. Yes, definitely a lot less structure. Uh, but I, I think that that could end up, you know, creating uh, some some really fun and interesting pod. And it's it's fun sections of the game regardless. It's uh, one of the more unique sections of the game from the from a Zelda perspective, I think, you know. Absolutely. It's it's definitely unique among other Zelda games and that there's really not anything else comparable to it. Yeah. Uh, in another Zelda game that I can think of. Yeah. Uh, nor I, or at least I think I think similar things in other Zelda games are a bit more scripted than they are here. But uh, of course, none of this makes any sense because we haven't talked about what it is that we played yet. But we'll we'll get there. Um, before we do that, I'm just going to get into a little bit of housekeeping and we're just going to get right back on this horse, Matt, like we never jumped off of it. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's jump on the horse. All right. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly reexamination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game. Then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can always head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so very much more. Uh, One of the um, bonuses that we actually give to our patrons is that anybody pledged to the Big Goron Sword, oh, actually, excuse me, anyone pledged to the Master Sword tier or above uh, gets their name read every week on the show. Those legendary individuals are Allie, Lennon, Leviticus, Melanie, Kolku, Rowan, Joshua, uh, who we have recently learned is a contributor at Zelda Universe. Hey, good for Rowan. We love him. No, it's and Joshua. Zelda. Sorry, Joshua. Do Wait. you even listen? No, not really, honestly. Whenever you're talking, I just tune you out. I'm sure Rowan's great, but... Thank I... you, Joshua. We also love Zelda Universe. And Rowan, you're also amazing, whether you're contributor to Zelda Universe or not. I don't think he does. I mean... 
whether or not he's still amazing. You okay. can contribute if you want. We have a volunteer page on ZeldaUniverse.net. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Well, you opened the door wide for him. I mean, what that's was he a, supposed to do? With I that? mean, that's a, actually a super yeah. good point. All right. Nick, Hyrule Podcasters, Keep It Going Pod, Dante, Jep, Mary, Brittany, Davey, Haru the Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Tyler, Ben, Daniel, Nick D, underscore, TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, Hyrule Interviews, which actually is Max Nichols, and he has changed the name. To, wait, does that mean that Hyrule Interviews is actually like on Patreon now? Does he have a Patreon for that? If he does have a Patreon, go check it out and sub. I need to do some research into that. You know we're on that, right? Uh, we we are indeed. Uh, we, we do have an interview on Hyrule Interviews. Um, I think it's HyruleInterviews.com, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. with our, it was our interviews with uh, Eric Buckles ah it's a good one it's a good one Max Nichols he's a good egg all right Garrett and Drew round out that list we appreciate your support so much we could not make this podcast without you you are truly some of our favorite people much love but without further ado let's talk about what we played we do that of course every week in the Sacred Realms Rundown where uh, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel today we're covering Breath of the Wild chapter 10 uh, which we have dubbed the search for the dragons part one is as always the plot recap as read by Matt uh, I I actually am curious to see what direction you took this in because it's all pretty open-ended it is there's a chance that we did this in completely different orders and so y- your plot I, recap may be uh, unfamiliar to me I kind of doubt we did this in different orders to be 100% honest I will be interested to see <laughs> that sounds like some uh, some good pod material to cover right there for sure all right I have it pulled up, and I actually wrote it beforehand this time. Love it. And I, you, so I'm, I actually haven't. One thing, a little peek behind the curtain about me. As this helicopter flies over. Yep. Right so on. this is going to be a fun thing. We we no longer have the train, but I guess but now we guess have we have helicopters. helicopters. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I do miss the train. I kind of miss the train as well. I don't know. I feel like it was a pain in the ass having to stop speaking for it every five minutes at the old house. But I mean, it was definitely a lot more. Um, uh what's the word i'm looking for uh appropriate to zelda no um dude i don't know i got ambiance what's the uh Uh, i don't know atmospheric Ah, there it is atmospheric it was definitely a lot more atmospheric than uh, a Mm -hmm. helicopter okay fair enough anyway what were you gonna say uh so a little peek behind the curtain about me personally i don't listen to my own podcast i generally hate the way my voice sounds on recordings so i don't really listen to it did you record and put live that version i think it was our last episode with cody where i just totally freewheeled the uh oh, yeah you got to go back and listen to that was it good did it turn out really good yeah it turned out great because you like so you you somewhat weirdly were able to just like spit it out completely off the cuff and it was i, I would say it was like a like eight out of ten it's like a seven seven point five eight out of ten something nice. like that all right cool 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 cool, cool. well yeah. i'm not doing that this time uh, this one was a little too open-ended for any freewheeling. So, yeah, I don't know uh, if you can catch lightning in a bottle twice. No, 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 no. We're not going to attempt fate. We're going to just uh, take our wins where we get them and then move on back to the uh, regularly established programming. Yeah, that's wise. All right. Uh, this is the plot recap as read by Matt. Take it away, Matt. As we have traveled far and wide throughout Hyrule, we have seen many wondrous things, but none compared to the majesty and ferocity of the two dragons we have seen from afar as we traveled along the mountain ranges of Hebra and delved into the depths of Farron Woods. 
Seeking to understand more about these marvelous creatures, we search far and wide for any information that we can find. We hear tell that there are three dragons that help maintain the spiritual and physical balance of the regions of Hyrule, and that one of these can be found on the summit of Mount Laneru. Donning our warmest garb, we head to the base of Mount Laneru to begin the ascent to search for this marvelous creature. After fighting off a rather ferocious Lionel, we start the climb along the barely perceptible path that winds its way around the foothills of the icy mountain. The path is strewn with foes, starting out with minor annoyances like ice chews, but leading up to some rather fierce Lizalfos, ice keys, and ice Lizalfos. Luckily, trusty fire arrows and flame weapons make short work of all of these chilly foes, and we push on to the top of the mountain. Once we reach the top of the mountain, we find a scenic spiritual spring, with a statue of the goddess Hylia at the far end. And in a terrifying turn of events, we see that the very dragon we have been seeking is coiled around the glacial peak, but it is completely infested with dark malice energy, and strewn across its sinuous body are malice eyes of prodigious size. In an odd turn of events, the goddess statue speaks directly to us, but says far more than the usual spiel about spirit orbs. This time, it tells us that the dragon behind the statue is an ice spirit that has taken the physical form of the dragon, and has served this spiritual spring of wisdom as its guardian for hundreds of years. When the calamity ravaged the land, the ice spirit Nadra became infested with the malice that we see before us. The goddess asks us to free Nadra from the infection so that it can once again protect the spiritual spring and roam the region of Laneru as it once did. As soon as the statue falls silent, Nadra takes off from the peak and towards the skies. Using the updraft created by the dragon, we hop on our glider and ascend to the heavens. Once there, we fly along the dragon's path and use our bow and arrows to attempt to destroy the malice eyes wherever we see them along the dragon's body. After destroying all the eyes along the back and belly of the dragon, we return to the spiritual shrine and find the cleansed dragon once again perched there. The statue of the goddess tells us that to finally set Nadra free to wander the land of Laneru, we need to shoot it once more with an arrow. From the point where our arrow impacts the body of the great dragon, a scale of icy blue flies to land at our feet. The goddess statue bids us to take the scale and drop it in the waters of the spring, and once we do, a gate opens up, revealing a shrine. We head from this shrine off to the other regions to rediscover the other two dragons and their respective shrines, which we suspect are also hidden within the spiritual springs. Our first stop is southeast. Nope, southwest in the verdant forests of Farron, where we find the thunder dragon Farosh and take one of his scales for ourselves. We then set about to find the spiritual spring in the woods and come across a glade full of electricity arrow shooting Lizalfos guarding a gigantic tree and the stone carving of a dragon's skull. We theorize, correctly as it turns out, that this is where the spring is housed. After defeating the foes and another big ol' moblin that's inside the dragon's skull, we drop the, skill of, the scale of Farosh into the waters of the Spring of Courage and are granted access to the shrine within. With only one dragon left, we head to the far west end of Hyrule to find the fire dragon known as Din Rall. We previously saw this majestic fire spirit flying along the canyons between Hebra and Hyrule Fields, and we find him there again in the earliest hours of the morning and take a red scale for ourselves. Unlike his siblings, Dinral's spring is not located anywhere near his normal route of flight. We learn that the spring of power is located in the Akala region and head there post-haste to explore for the shrine within. 
After scouring the region, we find the Spring of Power, located in an indentation near the western side of the region. And after navigating a maze of pillars patrolled by flying guardians, we enter the spring. There, we not only find the Spring of Power, but also unlock an ancient memory from our time together with Zelda. This memory is of our journey with the princess as she travels to each of the three spiritual springs to pray there in order to hopefully unlock her power. As we stand guard at the entrance of the spring, we can overhear Zelda's strident pleas and ever-growing frustration at the lack of manifestation of her powers. She pleads and pleads to the goddess Hylia, but to no avail. And at the end of the memory, we turn to her and hear her sobs as the memory fades away. This last shrine opens up before us, and we claim the spiritual orb from the monk within. With another major mystery behind us, more spirit orbs in our possession, and another unlocked memory, we once again resume our journey to vanquish the belie- to vanquish the calamity and save the beleaguered princess. This has been the plot recap as read by Matt. Part two is, of course, our takes where we talk about this section of the game, talk about how it made us feel. Um, I want to pass this over to Cody first. Before I do that, I do just want to say very quickly, Matt, that you and I did play this in the in the same order. I figured we probably yeah. would. It's it's the most logical path, honestly, because it's it's a you can almost walk. I mean, I didn't, but you can walk from Mount Laneru down southwest towards uh, Farron Wood. It's like it's just yeah. it makes the most sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Cody, I wanted to ask you real quick. Uh, I, I talked earlier about how I think that the the whole situation with the dragons in Breath of the Wild is something that's a fairly unique part of Breath of the Wild, um, especially in terms of like how they're, you know, not only a, an engaging piece of scenery, but they've also got a bit of like a, you know, a side story beat around them and also are a resource for, um, you know, for materials, which upgrade your combat or defensive performance or really, or really, I mean, stealth as well, speed, any of the player attributes that you can take potions, uh, or cook meals to augment. Um, so they serve a lot of different things. Um, and I, I just think they're one of the really cool parts of this living and breathing world. Um, I just wanted to ask you how you, how you felt about them. Yeah, the dragons are a really cool part of Breath of the Wild, I think. It's something that, because you, generally most people don't encounter them while they're on a quest for the dragons or anything. They're just going somewhere and they see a dragon flying overhead, you know? Like, I think the first time I saw a dragon was going over the bridge, um, which was um, the... You know which bridge I'm talking about, right? The big sort of bridge. yeah, that is the great the great bridge of Hylia that um, that spans Lake Hylia. Um, it is off to the southwest of the Great Plateau, east southeast southeast. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, yeah. Southwest is the Gerudo Desert. Um, mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So yeah, but uh, I, I went there fairly early because I was someone who actually didn't follow the like we've talked before, I guess, about how if there's a main quest, I avoid it at all costs. Um, I didn't do the water area first. I didn't do the the elephant divine beast first. Um, I sort of, and I didn't even meet Sidon properly um, and get all of it. Oh no! Things. Did you you skipped you skipped Sidon <laughs> because the first divine beast I got was the Rito one, and so. When I got rain, I was like, well, I'm just going to jump over it 
<laughs> oh. I had a like really hackneyed sort of, you know, drive through the mountains, like whether they were there or not, um, that didn't follow the gauntlet um, that was assigned to you in which side on. I mean, they have they have stuff set up so that if you if you miss all of that, the side on will just greet you by being like, "Oh, hello, nice to meet you." I'm side on, rather than assuming that you've seen all the previous cutscenes. Um, but yeah, so that was just a sidetrack to say that rather than go to Kakariko Village, I sort of went through to like the jungle and other places first. Um, you know, and, and saw this dragon fairly early and I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's just, that's really, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, I think for me as well, I think that uh, Farosh was my first dragon in this game. And I remember seeing him from like really far away. Like, I think at the right time of day, you can probably see him from the Great Plateau. You can. So I thought this was a really interesting point because the the mechanics of the game and its world uh, open up a whole lot after you complete the Great Plateau. Um, like, obviously, just being able to leave the Great Plateau is a huge deal. But I think that there's a state that the rest of the world exists in that doesn't engage until you have cleared um, the, until you've cleared those four shrines and gotten that cutscene, uh, just because you can you can go through several day night cycles on the Great Plateau um, before you've beaten it for the first time and never see Farosh. But as soon as you've done that, uh, you basically immediately if you if you are in the Temple of Time at the right time of day, then you can see Farosh coming up out of the lake um and i always thought that was a really cool thing because it's a pretty it's a pretty immediate signposting of the fact that it's like oh dang uh so this like this looks like something that i'm supposed to go investigate this looks like a part of the world that is now open to me i think that's a really fun trick that the game pulls off uh as an unrelated side note to that i also don't think that it can rain on the great plateau until after you've cleared it for the first time i don't think i've ever gotten rain on the great plateau while going through the tutorial section I, hmm i don't think that i have either to be honest so interesting yeah i don't know but um but yeah so yeah i i really do enjoy that about it uh then of course you see uh you can see farosh and dinneral several other places um depending on what your progression is through the game before you ever have really the tools i think to reach them um or at least the health to do so i think that early on in the game approaching any of these dragons is pretty perilous when you have low armor and low hearts you know because the act of like trying to fly close enough to them to get a shot off uh oftentimes gets you zapped or burned or frozen <laughs> so yeah and, and can easily kill you also if you have really low stamina that's kind of a hard task to accomplish anyway so I, like that's yeah do you remember, Cody, when the when the trailers for Breath of the Wild were first coming out? And I think there was a shot in um, in that first big trailer of Link running and Din Rall in the sky behind him. Mm. And at the time, everyone thought that was Volvagia. Yeah. Which actually kind of looking at Din Rall now, I sort of see where that's coming from. Like, he is a very Volvagia looking dragon. Even his horns are kind of. Yeah, I was about to say, he's got those curved horns, all fiery body. It is pretty Volvagia yeah, looking. It, fair. it is the, <clears throat> I guess, um, the Asian style of dragon that's like a very long, 
a very long body doesn't have necessarily like, you know, it's like the Shenron kind of dragon uh, from Dragon Ball, um, which I think is something that a lot of people wouldn't, I guess, otherwise associate with a dragon in the West um, unless they've got experience with that kind of thing because, you know, there's the dragon, the sort of dragon in Western fantasy is like a specific kind of big wings, breathes fire kind of dragon, but this is more of the it's mystical. Like a, it's like a dinosaur. It's like a dinosaur that breathes fire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas, whereas this is, look, the, that you could do an entire podcast series about dragons and how every culture in the world seems to have uh, had some kind of idea of a dragon and considered it very, you know, cool or powerful. Um, but it doesn't exactly line up what they think a dragon is. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this is a this is a specific type of dragon that can, you know, it can fly in the air without wings, basically just. Um, and it's very long and snake-like. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, that that was Volvagia um, in Ocarina of Time, but I think this is just more, um, rather than a reference to that, is more of just a reference to uh, mythology. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because the Zelda series has done this two different ways. I mean, obviously, you've got, like, Volvagia, who is of the of the more um, Eastern style of dragon that you're talking about right now. Uh, but then also in Wind Waker, we get Valu, who is most definitely a, a more Western interpretation of a dragon. You know, as Matt said, dinosaur with wings who breathes fire. So, um, you know, I think it's funny that we've gone back and forth on this in Zelda once or twice. But also like that because uh, the Zelda games... Uh, tend to be so stylistically different from one another that it just feels appropriate that a lot of these things would be all over the place. Uh, similar to the way that Rito are very different in Wind Waker than they are in Breath of the Wild. Um, oh yeah, so different. Yeah. And I've like I've never played Wind Waker, but I've I've seen the Rito from Wind Waker. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're just like totally different. So, creatures almost so that's a fun and interesting point um real quick before we get too much further into this matt i think it's time for us to uh do some homework what do you think uh you know i did the homework so yes i, I should say let's let's read it off cool i will go through it first of course uh this is the section of our takes every week where matt and i run you through uh where we started where we ended and then a few interesting stats uh, along the way, my starting point was the Akala Ancient Tech Lab. My ending point was the Spring of Power. My route taken, I just wrote Warping Bonanza. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not cover very much of this terrain on foot, um, or at least getting from one region to another. Uh, obviously, once I was in a specific region, I was, you know, I was kind of traveling by foot or by horse a lot of the way. But um, yeah, I started in Akala and then warped to. So I actually I was kind of particular about this. I really wanted to approach um, Mount Lanayru through the Lanayru um, promenade, you know, for sure. And get that cool view of like the mountain through the archway. Did you grab the memory that is there? I didn't. I am saving all of those for the week that we tackled the memories. Um, cause I, I want to go get them in order once I have all of the map unlocked. Well, and that's why I didn't go that way. Cause that's the second, to last memory. And so I didn't want to tempt myself by walking past it. I actually approached it from a different area, but, uh, Gotcha. Please continue. Well, I came through the Lanayru Promenade up to Mount Lanayru, fought the Lionel, who's right down there. I forgot that there was one there. Yes. Um, yes. Did the whole thing with Nadra on the mountain uh, and then warped to the Faron region 
um, to the stable that's over there. Uh, grabbed a, actually, no, that's a lie. I warped to the lake tower and then paraglided to my favorite Farosh farming spot, which is one of the turrets on the Great Bridge of Hylia. Mm -hmm. Uh, I usually fly down there, pop a fire, sleep until morning. And then when you, when you wake up after the, after the little interstitial music, Farosh is always coming up out of the lake. So, well, okay. Yeah, please no. Yeah, yeah. So, so did that and then walked the uh, scale of Farosh over to the Dracosu Lake in the Faron region. Um, from there, I warped to the Akala Ancient Tech Lab uh, and actually went a little bit around the north side of Death Mountain. I did the Gut Check Shrine, which I had not done. Um, and then I paraglided down to the Leviathan Skeleton that's over there and waited for Dinral to appear. Got that scale and then went on foot back to the Spring of Power, and that is where I ended. My shrine count at the end of this section was 82, and towers activated was none this week, because didn't go anywhere new. You're catching up, Lyndon. Is it my turn? It is your turn. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So I started and ended in the same place, also warped around a lot. So instead of going through the Lanayru Promenade, I actually warped to Varuta, and from the top of that mountain, glided all the way down pretty much directly into the Lionel Glade that's right there. So oh, okay. I just kind of skipped it all. Uh, again, didn't want to tempt myself to grab the second to last memory. Uh, so I kind of bypassed the Lanayru Promenade, uh, fought the Lionel, killed it, and then uh, up and around Mount Lanayru. From there, I uh, I went pretty much i so my favorite farosh farming spot is not yours it's not even remotely close to yours so i actually just kind of camp out by that really huge waterfall and he that's exactly where he comes out of every time so if you just camp until i think it's midnight he's just boop right there yeah that is lake floria by the way yes it is and so that is where i went uh went to lake floria and then um from there, I warped over to, um, oh, what, what tower is this? This is the, the Hebrew Tower, I think, and uh, glided down to one of the outcroppings along Tanagar Canyon. Uh, your spot is probably better for Denral farming um, because when you hang out around, around Tanagar Canyon, the best you can do is camp until uh, nighttime, and then you have to wait until like three in the morning for him to be close to you. So it's just like a long time of sitting around doing nothing. Yeah. Um, so I'll probably start dinner all farming over by that Leviathan skeleton. Uh, from there, I went over to uh, the spring of power and I did grab the memory because I was just like, eh, it's right there. So I grabbed it Cool. and uh, did the shrine. Cool. Fair enough. Uh, what's your shrine count? 83. Oh, we are. I am catching up. You are catching up. I, I, I only did the three dragon shrines this time. I, I wandered around a bit. I tried to, uh, get Mount Satori to light up for me. So I kind of hung around there for a while. Uh, I camped out a couple of times. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's random. It's completely random. It, and is. it just happens when it happens. So I, I camped out there a couple of times, got a blood moon, killed some more stuff. Um, but didn't I didn't do a whole lot outside of this, to be 100% honest. Okay. I, I upgraded some gear. I uh, bought the ancient bow so that I could have an easy dragon shooting. That's the one I use for yep. dragons as oh, well. Oh, absolutely. Bought mm-hmm. the ancient bow from Robbie the robot. And uh, yeah, it was... Uh, Robbie it was, is the technician. Robbie's the tech. 
What's the robots called? Cherry. Cherry. <laughs> uh, yes, I bought the I bought the bow from Cherry the robot. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Well, now with our homework out of the way, let's talk about the actual process that we go through to uh, get to the dragons and then offer the scales at uh, at the the various springs. Um, I'm going to go in order from the most involved of these to the least uh, because we've got one that is a legitimate set piece. Yep. We've got one that is actually a, a decent combat challenge if you choose to approach it that way. And then we've got another one that's just kind of there. Um, so let's start with uh, the Nadra encounter. Cody, uh, where are you at with this one? Is this something that you kind of enjoy doing whenever you're playing Breath of the Wild? Because it is by far, I think, maybe the most traditionally Zelda feeling set piece in the entire game. It's like scripted in a way that a lot of other things aren't in Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I I find the dragons really interesting um, because they are, I guess, I mean, I, I don't know if I would even call them tradi- <coughs> traditional so much as it feels it feels more traditional because it's, I'm, how do I put it? Um, like, I think Breath of the Wild has for example, as much dungeon as other games do. do. Like a lot of people, um, you know, say, well, where's, this isn't a traditional Zelda game, where's the dungeons and all that kind of thing. Like in terms of actual amount of puzzles, um, Breath of the Wild is, you know, probably got more than most Zelda games. But what it's missing, I guess, is vibes more than the actual, you know, more than the actual thing that's... um, you know, like all, all everything about a Zelda game is in Breath of the Wild. It's just split up in odd ways, and the shrines are all sort of in the same theme and that sort of thing. Um, so I think the the dragons are an interesting case of feeling thematic again. Um, you know, because there's a difference between you know, let's say put stacking fifteen shrines together and calling out a dungeon isn't quite the same thing as a fire temple. Um, not because it has less puzzles than a fire temple, but because it is not on fire. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so I think is the, the key point there. Um, so it's interesting to see the sort of elemental forces stuff in Zelda from that perspective. Right. Yeah, no, I, I I definitely agree with you there. When we talk about the Nadra encounter specifically, one of the things that I think is very interesting about that is that it does have a lot of like the elemental concerns that uh, the divine beasts don't have. Right. Because it is yeah. in a it is in a, a frozen area, which you do have to account for. Um, and then it also just it carries you over a very large chunk of that section of the map uh, in order to, to finish that. Um, so I, I think. Disagree with me if 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 you uh, don't feel the same way, Cody. But I mean, I feel like this is maybe one of the encounters that best uh, conveys the scale of this world while you're playing it. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I think <clears throat> it's yeah. It conveys a sense of scale. It conveys a sense of um, just mystery to the world. Like there's other things going on here aside from just the. Aside from just Calamity Ganon and Bokoblins, you know, there's other just, you know, there's there's other mystical beings hiding somewhere or, you know, 
just uh yeah yeah I, th- I think i think it's really interesting that these these dragons are spiritual in nature they're not good nor are they evil they are just kind of elemental right they they are what they are and it's even in the description of the dragons if you like take a picture of them and read and read about them uh it says like uh surrounding them is uh you know ice or fire or electricity uh that can be deadly to humans they don't mean any harm necessarily but just be cautious if you find yourself near one like i think that's a really neat thing that they're just a very natural force within the world that's not really like aligned with anything yeah um matt what did so when we're so yeah talking about the talking about the nadra encounter um where are you at with that like did you would you say that you enjoyed it i mean oh, i love it yeah yeah it's just a lot of fun i think the mount laneru setting is really really cool when you walk up that mountain and you see nadra just like coiled around the glacial the glaciers that are on the peak right they're all solid ice it's not even rock he's just chilling out in the ice and then that's like really cool but then as you look more and more um it's like Oh, this this dragon does not look like the others. One of these things is not like the others. And uh, it's he's just infested with that malice. And at the very first time I remember seeing this, I was like, oh, dang, I'm about to have a boss fight. Mm-hmm. Like, I might have to fight this dragon and try to kill it. And um, the, the, the kind of direction they take with uh, not not really sort of yes, but not really. Um, it's not exactly fighting back. You're just trying to chase it. Um, so I think that was neat. I wish that it maybe stuck a little closer to the home base because I found myself this time specifically. I don't necessarily remember having this problem before, but like I landed on the ground more than once and had to use Revali's Gale to get myself back up in the sky and try to catch up with Nadra so that it again didn't get too far away and reset the encounter. And um, so that was I wouldn't say frustrating, but I was like, ah, dang, I, I kind of messed that one up. And so I had to course correct pretty aggressively it's interesting when you talk about noticing the differences immediately between like uh, malice nadra and the other dragons of course visually that's true but the music is also different Mm -hmm. as you approach the summit it's like this kind of this creepy version so the the dragon theme i think is one of the one of the more beautiful pieces of music in breath of the wild Mm -hmm. um it has got this very eastern very mystical uh soundtrack anytime a dragon is close by which i think is very appropriate especially given what cody was saying a minute ago about the more eastern inspired visual look of these dragons but when you are climbing mount laneru and you get close to possessed nadra uh, you get a really creepy offbeat like minor key version of that tune which is very effective i think yeah it's it's definitely disconcerting i think the most disconcerting thing about nadra outside of the giant malice eyeballs was it looks like a sick dog almost it's like tongue is kind of lolling out its eyes are like purple bloodshot not like red they're they're it's just like it looks sick and you're like ooh. That's not how that's supposed to look. And like even outside of the obvious tumors, basically, like just looking at his face, you're like, oh, that's that's not right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Going back to the point that you were making about the fact that dragons are are more elemental and mystical in this world. I wanted to bring up something for the whole group to talk about. And Cody, I think you you probably have got something interesting to say about this because I know you're you're pretty boned up on the lore of the Zelda games. But um Throughout the Zelda games, we have various incarnations 
of um, beings who bear the names of the uh, uh, of the regions, right? The regions that we're in, um, and, and even of the three in goddesses. and of the three goddesses. Yeah, those names tend to be derivative. So obviously, the goddesses being Din, uh, Neru, and Feror, uh, the spirits that kind of tend to be like servants of in the names of those goddesses in the games, they tend to have names that are derived from them. So, uh, in other games, you see them as not Din, but as, um, Elden or not Nehru, but Laneru and not, uh, not Feror, but Feron. Right. Um, and even in twilight princess, we have yeah, all those, all those light spirits yeah. are derived. Yeah. We, we've got springs very much like we have here. There are springs that are said to be, um, integral to the like the safety and security of Hyrule and they're guarded by spirits and in Twilight Princess they're directly named uh Lineru, Faron, and uh Elden. And this game, of course, the dragons' names are very similar. Dinral, not Elden, Farosh, not Faron, and uh Nadra, not Lineru. So I was just kind of curious, I mean, do we do we think that there is a level of connection between these dragons as beings and those other ones from a lore standpoint, Cody? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a basic, um, like, I think it might be to some extent a sort of Korok, Kikiri, Kikui situation of just like, there's going to be, there's going to be spirits that represent some sort of primeval force. Um, whether they're, whether they're the same person with the same personality, I guess, is a different question but like i i think these are basically forces of the universe and i think if you if you understand it i guess from the sort of i guess like polytheistic sort of um you know tradition of you know there's lots of gods some gods are more powerful than others but you know just the a concept is a god um like i i think you see the dragons you also see the you also see the um, sort of shining stag, um, you know, and and other creatures like that as well. That sort of just give off the impression that there are there are beings, sort of, you know, gods or demigods or that sort of thing that are just around around the area, um, and that this is just you know a fact of existence in Hyrule. Um, they're not necessarily going to recognize like. You know, because we, we've we've met incarnations of um, of these forces before. Um, so you know, like Skyward Sword has has that to an extent as well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what you think, but yeah, I, I sort of just see it as part of a a sort of minor pantheon kind of situation. Yeah, I guess to me, what this all comes back to is. Uh, the title of the actual series of games, which is The Legend of Zelda, right, wherein we have a common uh, language and vernacular and a common, um, I guess, a common set of story structures, right, that have got quite a lot of variation within that framework, you know, and and it really works because you know, one thing, one reason I actually really enjoy the Zelda canon versus, or sorry, the Zelda fandom versus other large fandoms is that it is far less beholden to the canon of things um, than, say, like Star Wars or mm-hmm. Star Trek or um, 
or you know whatever uh so i was trying to think of one off the top of my head that is not a star thing mm-hmm. <laughs> like <laughs> that tells you what the the other kind of fantasy and sci-fi that we're into right <laughs> yeah star, star star wars fans notably some of the nicest and least toxic people in the world right right <laughs> yeah that's a wink wink moment there yeah, exactly um but no so i think and it's not that people don't care about the canon of zelda games like there obviously are you know people are invested in the lore and there's a certain amount of like fun uh kind of puzzle making i think of people trying to put the pieces together of like oh this is the lore of hyrule and whatnot but but really what it all comes down to is that the discrepancies can be more easily dismissed because this is all legendary you know this is a legend um and and i think we're meant to we're meant to think that these games are being conveyed in much the way that a Mytho- mythology yeah would a mytho historical yeah. account yeah would be and i think that like for me i like to draw connective tissue between the games as much as i can it's one of those things that I, everybody has their head canon when they play zelda right and i think we can all agree that you know th- there's not necessarily a right answer to most of these things um and and even to some extent the connections that we make between Kokiri and Korok and all those things are to some extent headcanon. I think Hyrule Story has put a lot of that in more concrete context, but like to to me, I, I enjoy just kind of envisioning that these guardian spirits that we encounter throughout other games outside of maybe the sages kind of take on a form that is necessary for the time in which they find themselves, right? And the 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 place and and the the setting, right? And for uh, for Twilight Princess, they were far more segmented. Uh, they were separated by um, the the Twilight barriers, and they were a little more uh, in their more specific regions. But in Breath of the Wild, which is a far more sprawling game, it made more sense to have kind of three main entities that roamed the area and and like made their presence known throughout that larger place. Um, their dragons are, you know, in all cultures, I think some of the most powerful beings that are around. So it, it made a little more sense in that context as well. So just yeah. kind of seeing those primeval elemental forces of the three goddesses take shape for the time and place in which they are needed and in which they find themselves. That's to me, I don't know. That's kind of one of my cool head cannons that I like to think about. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody agrees or disagrees. Feel free. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so Skyward Sword, um, I won't talk about Wind Waker um, because there was a law thing I could get into, but I know one of you hasn't played it. Um, Spoiler free, please. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Uh, But in Skyward Sword, we do have three dragons named Laneru, Faron, and Elden. Um, yep. And they are a sort of different, um, like, they are, they do, they do have a, a godlike sort of, uh, you know, like they are ruling over some, some sort of region. Um, the, the water dragon is a disgrace. Um, I just want to, bring that up <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you're not not a fan of fair on the water dragon or her tad tones <laughs> yeah i'm not a fan of her tad tones i'm not a fan of the fact that she was like oh no there's some bokoblins and then she flooded the entire area and created a shark infestation just a disaster of a guardian um <laughs> she really did kind of mess that one up didn't she <laughs> so you know but uh yeah look i'll leave I'll leave my my water dragon thoughts for um, another time, but uh, you know they appear in various various forms, and I think I don't know if you've seen, for example, American Gods by Neil Gaiman. 
I have not. I've seen, I've seen the first season uh, and I have read the book. Right. And or have you the anime Noragami is maybe another um, point of reference there for those who understand that reference. But basically the premise of American Gods is that new gods are created when new concepts are needed. Like, you know, there's in the modern world, there has to be a god of technology and a god of <clears throat> god of the internet and that kind of thing that just comes around naturally from you know what's what's relevant to the times um and i think to me that's the sort of model i think of for for spirits in the zelda series is that yeah they are adjusting with the times and you know and these times are times that require a you know an open world patrolling approach as opposed to, you know, Skyward Swords approach of they sit in their area and, you know, and they don't move and, and you come to them. Um, Breath of the Wild is sort of a, yeah, like things, times have changed and necessities have changed um, is the way that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's I think that's very apt and that's a really cool um, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of talking about uh, the American gods approach to mythology anytime. I don't know if this is the best place to really get deep into it because I could go I could go really deep because the way that Neil Gaiman kind of portrays it is fascinating. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really great shout, Cody. Uh, getting back into the gameplay a little bit, because we've only really covered Nadra. I guess I don't want to get too bogged down into the encounters that um, that kind of surround the other, because it, the, the the other dragons don't have encounters that surround them at all. No, it, not really. It's just the process of getting to their springs, which uh, the Dracosu Lake section that uh, is in Faron region, you know, you've got a little bit of combat that's required to mm-hmm. get in there. Um, but it's it's not too dissimilar from anything else that you do anywhere else in this game. So the question that I wanted to ask both of you, and I'm going to go to Matt first, is do you wish that we had had a Nadra-level event for each of the three dragons? Well, you know me, Lyndon. I always want that for Breath of the Wild. Like, that, that's been kind of one of my main complaints throughout the game is, like, I think that it does so many things really well, but I don't think it does big encounters or grand scale. Uh, not grand scale. It doesn't do big encounters enemy wise well in my opinion yeah i was gonna say breath of the wild is like grand it is is the grandest scale yes but no it doesn't do (laughs) as far as like battles right like it doesn't do um that very well in my opinion and i think this this could have been a fun opportunity to have you know those types of um scratch that itch i guess we'll say Um, the uh, the Muldugo would like to have a word with you (laughs) i love the Muldugo fight dude that one's a lot of fun like Muldugo the Mulduga fight, the first one, is more fun than, like, most of the bosses. But, of course, we'll get back to <laughs> we'll that. We'll get there later. Time, yeah. um, but, I, so, funny you should mention that, you know, specifically the Spring of Courage. I had forgotten that this area was infested with Electricity Lizalfos, and so I just kind of willy-nilly wandered in there and just immediately got shot by, like, four shock arrows, and I was like, oh, yeah, I should probably do something about that. And so I had to quickly kind of pivot and I, I think my Revali's Gale was recharging because normally the easiest thing to do was be hop up in the sky, pull out your bow and arrow and just like time shoot people and couldn't do that. 
So I was like, you know what? I have 125 shock arrows, so I'm going to throw one of those on with a royal bow and just uh, pop these guys off from a long distance. And that was kind of a fun little Legolas archer battle that I had with a group of electricity Lizalfos. Nice. Cody, what about you? Do you kind of wish that the that Farosh and Dinral had had encounters that were approximate to the Nadra? Um, to some extent, like I actually sort of enjoy the asymmetry of it. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know, cause compared to if, for example, there were three of them and each of them had a bunch of eyes sticking out of them and you had to shoot the big googly eyes, um, as is Zelda tradition. Um, and then they were unlocked onto, onto the world. Um, I mean, I think that would have some benefits, but I think it's also nice to just have some of these dragons just there in the overworld from the start, just meeting them like that. That experience of just having a dragon fly overhead um, is, you know, I I think a very memorable experience to me. Um, And if I'd missed that out because, because instead the, you know, the... Farron, or not Farron, um, getting Farosh. Farosh. Yeah, had been sort of locked at the top of a mountain and I had to travel through and, you know, get some electricity-themed, you know, puzzles and that sort of thing. Like, I don't, I don't know, I that maybe wouldn't have been the same experience in terms of the just experiencing a wandering dragon. Um, so I... I think maybe I want to restate what I what I was saying there, because I do totally agree, Cody, that like having the experience of just randomly coming across a dragon is one of the coolest experiences, especially an intro experience, Breath of the Wild. Like I vividly remember the first time I saw Farosh from the, you know, across the way. Right. I very, very vividly remember that and um, not knowing what to do with it. And I actually like tried to ride it. The first time I saw him, uh, I had that go. It did not go well. No, I died. Um, And so I do think that having the free roaming dragons is really cool. I think for me, it more revolves around. I wish there was maybe a, a different mechanic to unlocking those shrines in the springs, right? Like you had to do something a little more specific or there was something a little more involved with with the dragon itself but i didn't i don't want to take away the free roaming dragon i don't want all of them to be region locked and have to go find all three every time and shoot the eyes like no that that would definitely not be ideal so i I, kind of i maybe restructure my thought not necessarily retract but restructure gotcha i uh i think that i really agree with where both of you are coming down on this i do not need to have had a combat encounter with the other two dragons for them to have been fun. Um, I think that they're great in the game the way that they currently are. I do wish that there was something, an an event of some kind, like maybe when you drop their scale in their spring, you see them like, there's a cutscene where you see them flying in the sky over you or something. Like something that just connects the dragons a bit more immediately to the spring, the way that Nadra is to... uh, uh, to their spring on the top of the mountain. But, you know, uh, we're, we're picking nits here. I don't think that this is like, I don't think it can be said that this was done unsuccessfully. I think it's got a, a very grand scale. Um, all three of the dragons are a joy to find out in the world. I do think it's a little weird. Um, I think Nadra is is very much kind of bound to the Laneru region, really. 
geographically, whereas Farosh and Denral are kind of all over the place. Like, yeah, that was one of the things that I thought was a little weird as well. Was like Denral goes, and he has a huge area that he's just kind of all over the place. Yeah, and um, Farosh at least and Denral are both just like, or sorry, Farosh and Nadra are kind of. Or, well, I guess Farosh kind of goes all over the place, yeah, doesn't Farrah, he? You can find Yeah, he goes all the way over to Lake Hylia. Yeah, yeah so, so Nadra does stick around uh, a lot closer to Farosh home base. can actually show up in the um, on the outer edge of the Gerudo mountain range. Really? I don't think I've ever seen him that far west. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So Din, Din Rall can go from—you I, I, can see Din Rall on the north end of Death Mountain and then over in Tanagar Canyon, and then Farosh can be in the Lakes region, in the in the Falls region, and then kind of all the way over towards Gerudo a little bit. So um, so that's very interesting, just geographically speaking, but I guess from a gameplay design perspective, uh, they wanted to give you as many opportunities as possible. Like they didn't want you to have to go to a specific place to do some dragon farming, um, as I, I guess what would be the— the decision behind that but who knows who can say yeah, i guess that makes sense one thing i do want to say before we move on from our takes is um well actually let, let's let's get to the let's distill our takes into do you matt do you like this I, I guess this adventure i mean we kind of turned the quest for the dragons into a bit more of a structured adventure than the game makes it into but i enjoyed it as an evening spent playing breath of the wild with three very specific goals and doing oh, all, absolutely. You know? No, this was a lot of fun to just go to the various regions, hang out, see some dragons, shoot some dragons. Um, it definitely, if you do it the way that we did it, right, which I don't think anybody ever would or does, um, it it takes you from like one end of the map to the other. And I, it's a really cool. Uh, um, what's the what's the what's the company I'm looking for? Uh Travel advice, trip advisor. It's a very uh, trip advisor heavy. Uh, <laughs> come see the three hotspots of Hyrule with the dragons. It feels very trip advisor, and I, I kind of like that. It's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely fun. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I enjoyed it quite a lot. Um, I, I enjoy visiting all of these shrines quite a bit. They're some of the coolest areas in the game to go and see. Um, they kind of they're one of those areas in Breath of the Wild that really teases me in terms of like ancient architecture that feels relevant to the history of Hyrule. We've got several places in the game like that. You know, we've got the Forgotten Temple and we've got the Temple of Time and Hyrule Castle obviously is like that. I also feel that way about the columns area around um, Rito Village where that memory is up there on that rise with all those columns and that shrine. I, I like that area mm. for similar reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but of course we've got, uh, we've got all of these, uh, all of these springs that we go to and Cody, you already opened this door by mentioning Skyward Sword. So I guess it's time that we talk about bar none. My favorite reason for visiting any of these The spring of power, the spring of power. And, uh, and Cody, I'm going to let you go ahead and drop this bomb on our listeners for anyone who ha hadn't made this connection already. Uh, but what is the significance of the uh, spring of power as seen in breath of the wild? I'm, no, I'm, I'm sure I know. I'm just like, which one's this? So uh, the spring so, of power is the earth spring. It, no, it's Skyview spring from skyward sky sword. you're right it's skyview spring earth oh. spring was in the volcano it's skyview spring from skyward sword it's the first uh spiritual spring we come to after completing the uh, Farron woods temple yep yes yes okay so it is exactly the same all right let's, let's start over so it's the skyview spring from skyward sword. <laughs> 
<laughs> wind that back. We're gonna edit all that out, maybe. <laughs> so uh, you know, I knew that the whole time. No, I did. I did know that. I was just like uh, spring, spring. Oh yeah, spring. no, no, brain fart, brain yeah. fart. Yep. Um. So look, there's some really interesting callbacks to other to other Zelda games through this series. I don't know if you have. Um, is the Central Plains area one that you've covered yet? We have visited it. Um, we haven't had a section specifically for it, but we've kind of been dipping in and out of there. You feel free to say whatever you want to say about the Central Hyrule Fields and everything. Yeah. All right. Well, because Lon Lon Ranch appears there. Um, really? Yep. yep. Yes. Um, have you never seen this, Matt? I Not off the top of my head. Yeah, Lon Lon Ranch, as it appears in Ocarina of Time, the ruins of it can be found in the central Hyrule region. Um, the buildings are all like the ruined buildings are all in the same place. The big uh, the big brick tower um, is in the same place. The corral is in the same place. Like, well, yeah, I just found it on the map. I literally opened my switch, went to the map and boom, it says ranch ruins. And yeah, there it is. It's literally right there. Wow. Yep. That's awesome. Go visit it sometime. It's really cool. Yeah. So so there's there's a few places like that. The the spring of yeah, the spring of power, the well I mean a big a big suspicious one is of course um on the Great Plateau, the temple itself. Um is Yeah, know, it's the Temple of Time. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the temple. Um so yeah, there's a few there's a few places around like this, and I I think it's quite interesting. You know, I don't know to what extent we sort of talked about this before talking about timelines and such such, but I'm not sure to what extent a lot of this is meant to be like a canonical, like meant to be a timeline thing, as as opposed to meant to be a cool, um, you know. Like a little Easter egg. A, a, a cool Easter egg, because there are also just, like, islands named after, I don't know, Tingle's little followers or whatever that you're like, you know, is this, is Wind Waker canon? Because that's not in the, that's not in the timeline that, uh, you know, that people would assume it's in. Um, but, yeah, I think it, but Skyward Sword and Ocarina of Time are a case where uh, it doesn't matter which timeline you're in because you're all good because... Um, they're, they're both before the split. So, yeah. So I, I definitely agree. Um, it's one of those things where I enjoy the Springs, especially the spring of power, because it is, I mean, it's the exact geometry of the Skyview spring as seen in Skyward Sword. Um, the, the walkways are in the same place. The pillars are in the same place. The goddess statues in the same place and the waterfalls that fall into the spring are in the same place. It's the exact same. Um, and I, I like it because one Zelda games typically do not have a lot of shared, uh, spaces in this way between from, from one to the next, like even putting aside breath of the wild and the ones that it has that are similar. Um, most Zelda games do not have a situation where like, oh yeah, I mean, uh, this is the temple of time and it looks exactly like this other version of the temple of time, or I'm in the fire temple and it looks exactly like this other version of the fire temple or, or whatever. Um, but breath of the wild does have a few. And when you do find them, they're just really fun little Easter eggs and, yeah, I do think it's a little weird because um, 
Skyview Spring was in the Faron region in Skyward Sword, and this the Spring of Power is in the Elden Akala? region. Yeah, I mean more or less Elden. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 in Akala, which is pretty close to Elden. So yeah. don't know the exactly what's up with there. The actual geography of where places are it can be inconsistent throughout the series. Um, like Kakariko Village in um moves around a lot moves around a lot which you can just take as a law thing of just like the shika village doesn't it's not like a permanent city like they'll they'll just have to move around but like because obviously in ocarina of time it's clearly at the foot of death mountain um right and and in twilight princess yeah and in twilight princess and we know that death mountain isn't the one that moved because that's the one piece of the geography that is not going to move. Like even the great Deku tree can move, um, you know, that mm-hmm. you can come up with a reason why the tree uh, has moved to a different area um, because it's a magic tree with magic powers and can do what it wants. But Death Mountain <laughs> is just a big volcano. Like it's there. It's a fundamental part of the geography of Hyrule. Um, you see yeah. it in a lot of Zelda games. Um and it's always mostly in the same like even like obviously fictionally what you're saying makes sense but on the map i feel like death mountain is basically always in the northeastern chunk for the most part yeah um just even from the original um the original legend of zelda um the sort of mountainy area is at the top um zelda 2 is a very confusing map but um you know, you can bring on you can bring on Joshua from the uh, from Zelda Universe, who's one of your patrons. <laughs> uh, he's a big fan of Zelda Two, and he can tell you all about it. But um, look, Death Mountain in Zelda Two is just a disaster. People are always throwing axes at you. They just need to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> yet yet another uh, yet another feather in the cap of I can't wait to play Zelda Two. I say, uh, as man. I, he said facetiously, very yeah. facetiously. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but no, I think that's a good point. And obviously in Breath of the Wild, like, you know, you could like, so the ranch ruins, okay, that's kind of out to the front of, it's in central Hyrule and it's off, you know, kind of a similar distance away from Castletown as it would have been in Ocarina of Time and, you know, more or less. And, uh, and so that's kind of consistent, but also the Temple of Time is most definitely not where it would have been in Ocarina of Time. So did you move the whole temple? I don't know. Um, you know, the, the Faron region is most always in the same place, but as you mentioned, Cody, the DQ tree, um, it, it moves around quite a lot in Twilight Princess. We have the sacred grove where the master sword sleeps and it's implied the temple of time used to be there. And that's in a very different place than it has been any other time. So yeah, you can't really, you can't claim consistency about any of these things, but they do feel like a warm, fuzzy blanket of nostalgia whenever we visit any of these, any of these areas. But, uh, Matt, do you have anything else you want to say, uh, in regards to uh, our takes before we move on to the next section. Hmm. I think that this, this is just one of the, I think this is one of the defining coolest things about breath of the wild, the, the, the dragons in general and interacting with them and interacting with the springs and interacting with the world in a very, very unique way that I don't really see mirrored anywhere else 
in the Zelda universe. And I think that this is one of the things that makes Breath of the Wild one of the best video games and possibly one of the best Zelda games uh, of all time. Like it's it's a small thing that is not related to the story. It's not related to the main quest, but it's just one of those things that the creators designed and threw in there. And man, it just it hits. It slaps, as they say. It slaps. It does indeed. Well, let's move on to part three, which is shrine diving, where we talk about excellence in shrines, uh, a shrine that we call out every week that we thought was well done. Matt, I'm going to throw it to you first. What is your shrine diving pick this week? Uh, Well, since I only did the three dragon shrines and uh, two of them were uh, blessing shrines, I went with the default winner of Tutsua Nima, which is just a major test of strength in the uh, string of power. And actually, one important note about this particular major test of strength is, I believe, this is one of the ones where you have to use Cryonis. It is. To uh, stun the Charging Guardians instead of uh, the pre-established pillars. And I really like that. Uh, when they when they change it up a little bit, there are a couple where you have to use Magnesis to pull up a, uh, a metal, metal pillar, and there's a yep. couple where you use Cryonis, and I that's a little fun twist that they add. Uh, also, I'm never opposed to getting some Guardian++ plus plus weapons. So, yep, all good things. Know. Okay. <laughs> I will accept your major test of strength uh, like it's not the 50th one that we've done. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Uh, so, okay, the one that I'm going to go ahead and pick out for this week is I've, I've got one that I want to talk about a little bit in Bloopy Trails, but for shrine diving specifically, I want to mention the Ka Mael Shrine. And this was the one that is in, so I, I actually did do a little exploring this week. This one is in the Akala region. Uh, actually, it, it it's going to ride the line between Akala and Lanayru. I forget which region it's actually in, but it's in the Ulria Grotto. Um, it's one where you you fall into this little grotto. Um, it's got a bunch of wind tunnels and a pond at the bottom, but it's kind of got a hidden bombable wall that you have to um, you've got to activate your bow in midair and hit it with a bomb arrow to bomb the wall open. And so I really like that just because, um, you know, sometimes shrines in Breath of the Wild can sort of be just like, oh, hey, there's a shrine, right? Uh, but this one is a really cool instance of one where you got to do a little cave diving to, to actually find it, which I always appreciate. Um, but this is one of those shrines uh, where you actually have to solve it via using weight to move around uh, weighted platforms. Like you see kind of a, uh, like it, they look kind of like Lady Justice's scales, right? Yep. Where one is down and one is up. And so what you've got to do is find a heavy enough thing to like drop on the other one and launch yourself up in the air. Um, I, I always think that those are pretty fun. Um, usually it just comes down to finding the correct um, combination of things to balance out Link's weight so that you can raise and get to a new area. Uh, but on this one, uh, it like it starts off kind of tricking you into thinking that you have to do that because there's like there's one metal uh, barrel that you that you find and it's like okay, so this one and then what else? Uh, but no matter what you place on the other pedestal it moves the one you're on up too slowly because you have to get kind of launched up in the air to get up to the next level. And so looking around, you realize that there's actually a giant metal block on a platform that you have to drop. And then when you do that, uh, you realize what you have to do is you have to hover it over the other platform and just drop it. Yep. And the velocity creates enough like thrust for you to be launched into the air on the platform that you're on. So it's a simple puz- uh, puzzle. But it is a neat showcase for the way that, like, 
the velocity of items in the world uh, is handled in the Breath of the Wild engine, which I think is is a lot of fun. Um, yeah, just a just a fun little treat of a shrine, Cody. I know that uh, we're putting you a bit on the spot here, and um, since since this section, since this the quest for the dragons really covers basically the entire map of Hyrule, I'm going to give you carte blanche to 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 let you tell us any particular shrine in the game that you think is a ton of fun that you'd like to that you'd like to drop here all right um let's see sorry can it be for an area that you haven't done yet absolutely okay i just want to give a shout out to outside of gerudo town becoming the reigning reigning champion of sand seal racing Mm, that one's so much fun um I love to I love to race on my sand seals um, and talk to the the person who always has some seal puns for you. Um, I just think these mini games are a lot of fun. The surfing, oh, the shield surfing and the seal surfing and all of that. Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, I think we really could have even added another type of surfing to this game you know where's my where's my ice block surfing i want to do that dude i actually so water traversal is the most painful means of travel in this entire game traversing water sucks and like if they just added some type of water surfing it would have been so cool i would have been all on board with that give me my lapras and let me surf on the water Matt, well, if you're looking for the for the big Pokemon crossover, then forget Lapras. It's got to be surfing Pikachu. <laughs> I forgot he could do that. <laughs> uh, gross. Jeez. OK, no, that's a That's a great pick, Cody. I'm actually um, I'm very interested. So next week we're actually getting into the Gerudo region and I'm excited about it, obviously, for the story, because there's a lot of cool story that's contained in there. But also the Gerudo region has got some of the most interesting shrines in the game, bar none. A lot of electricity based puzzles. Mm-hmm. And electricity is probably the most interesting of the let's call them natural elements that you interact with in Breath of the Wild. It has the most diversity like you do a lot of things with it. You can yeah. conduct it with metal. You can conduct it with magnesis back to yourself, unfortunately, which is kind of painful. Um, there, it goes through travels through different mediums in different ways. Like they, they really did electricity really well in Breath of the Wild. I'm very excited for the Gerudo region for that reason. Yeah, and if you had done the Gerudo region early, you could have been carrying around the helmet that makes you immune to electricity. Um, yeah, the Thunder Helm. It's a fun one. Which uh, which is it's just a great time, especially if you're traveling through some of those areas like the jungle where you just have to constantly deal with electricity. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah if, it, you, if, you, if you pick up the Thunder Helm before going to do the uh, the Zora's Domain combat gauntlet in the rain, then I'd imagine that those um, those shock arrow Lazalfos archers are a lot more of a joke than they otherwise would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're just uh, just a god wandering wandering through, being like, oh mountains, I'll just jump over those because I've already visited the Rito Shrine. Um, you know, lightning, I'm immune to that. Because um, I've already been to the Gerudo area, uh, and it's but the thing is, it's meant to theoretically be the first region you go to if you're like following the sort of go to Kakariko and then follow the natural path. But if you do it last, it will become even easier because you can just keep using. Like I think I, I I cheated my way through a part of the elephant shrine by using the Rito jump as well by like 
ascending to another floor. Um, so, you know, there's lots you can do if you go in a different order. It is interesting to hear you bring up that point because when we did the Zora's Domain episode, one of our major talking points was about how like, man, they really kind of foolproofed you into having to do it this way because it's raining and you can't climb anything and the and like the geography makes it really difficult to get into Zora's Domain from like a backside or whatever. Um, but we didn't even take into consideration how much easier it would be had you done Va Meadow before doing Zora's domain and having those extra abilities. So there you go. That's the workaround that did not occur to us in that episode. Thank you, Cody. Yep. Look, if you need any advice about things being done in the wrong order, um, then I've always got plenty, plenty to share. (laughs) (laughs) It's good to have a person on hand for that. Let's move into part four, which is bloopy trails, where we talk about something that diverted our attention this week. I'm going to go first here, and I'm going to give Cody time to think about if there's if there's any any bloopy trail that he wants to bring up uh, later. But uh, so for me, I was actually kind of taking care of a few of the cast quest shrines in this week. Um, I've only got one more to do, and it's the one in the Gerudo region. So getting close to done with those. But the one that I tackled this week was the one over at Washa's Bluff, which is where Cass actually has his like home away from home. You can get up on top of one of those little Thundra Plateau mushroom rock looking things. And he's got a house up there and that's where his diary is. That tells you all of the different cast quests. So, you know, which ones like to, you, you can kind of make a checklist of them. But uh, at the base of Washa's Bluff, there is a pedestal um, that activates a shrine only if you stand on the pedestal naked during a blood moon. Well, yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah. That one's kind of a pain. <laughs> and, but, so the thing is, the way that I have always done this before is that I, I wait until after I've beaten the labyrinth that gives you the warp portal. Because we'll talk about this when we do the episode where we cover the labyrinths, but uh, you get a reward from beating one of them and actually you don't even necessarily have to do this i don't think it's not required you can you can get the shrine and just leave but there's a combat room in the basement of one of those labyrinths and if you defeat it then a chest spawns and in it is the you 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 get granted a portal and you can set that portal anywhere on the map you only get one but it acts like a like a sheikah travel point you know at the same way that a shrine would or a divine beast would or an ancient tech lab and so what i've normally done is i've gotten that and then i've gone and just stuck it next to that pedestal and then whenever i see a blood moon about to pop up i just warp over there Ooh, smart this time i didn't i don't have that yet and i saw a blood moon creeping up through the sky and i was like you know what i'm just gonna go for it i'm gonna see if i can make it happen so what I did was as soon as I saw the blood moon kind of climbing up in the sky, I warped to the I, I believe it's the Mog Laton shrine. It's the one on Satori Mountain. And Satori Mountain is um, a is a paraglide trip away from Washa's Bluff. It takes a little bit of doing, but it's a pretty straight shot. And so I was just like, I wonder if I can get there in time. So I started flying all the way over to Washa's Bluff. And then the blood moon animation happened while I was midair. Probably about 100 yards from the pedestal. No. Oh, that's so annoying. But I was just like, you know what? For giggles, I'm going to see if it still works. But I after the animation was done, I dropped to the ground and ran over to the pedestal, took all my clothes off, stood on it, and it still worked. So I don't know if there's like a a window of time that it gives you to do this in um, to, to where you have like a safety zone. Uh 
like the moon was no longer red in the sky. So I don't know. I, I, I guess I gamed the system in some way. I don't know how I did it, but, but hey, there I'm, you go. I'm proud of you for gaming the system. I circumvented the, the laws of nature in Breath of the Wild. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, the other thing that I did was now that I've found all the dragons, I actually did a little bit of uh, farming of their materials. Um, I'm going to take another crack at the trial of the sword later this week. And this time I'm going to go in with full extra hearts and a 30 minute duration triple attack potion, which uh, if you don't know, uh, if you have got if you've got four mighty bananas and then you throw those into a cook pot with a shard of any of the dragon's horn. It's got to be a shard of the horn because the scales and the fangs and the and the tooth uh, don't do anything. No, they do stuff, but they have uh, they have a, a lower duration. So I think like a shard of Nadra's fang will get you like an 18 minute bonus. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but a shard of any of the dragon's horns with mighty bananas will get you a 30 minute max attack bonus and 30 minutes is a long time you can really clear out a lot of trial of the sword in 30 minutes so yeah no that's fair i I planning on doing the same thing this week cool all right bloopy trails matt what you got uh not a lot to be 100 percent honest i mostly just enjoyed the scenery i smelled some flowers picked some uh bugs up and uh generally grinded out some uh, upgrade materials i i really just spent more time enjoying Breath of the Wild as a hiking simulator, which our good friend Max Nichols has told me is kind of the point of most Zelda games. And uh, I I had a really good time doing that this week. I I have to say that not setting a goal for myself outside of the three dragons kind of opened it up to just, you know what, what am I what am I going to see while I'm wandering around? And, And I had a good time doing that. So your bloopy trail was to chill the F out. Yes, it was. I'm happy for you. Well, thank you. It was much relaxing. Yeah, it was much needed. All right, Cody, do you have anything particularly fun that would count as a side thing that that could divert your attention? Um, Yeah, so a couple of things. This first one is a bloopy trail from the conversation because it's unrelated. Um, Just do you notice that the when you say the the past tense of grind in when you're just using it normally is ground. But if you're using it in a video game, you say grind it. I've never thought about that, but it's a, it's a compelling point. <laughs> just uh, Matt was just saying grind it, and I was like, you know, that's only grammatically accurate in the con- in the context of video games. Just something that's to think true. About. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't grinded some coffee beans, so. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you if you if you if you do find yourself saying that you grinded some coffee beans then chances are good you failed english class so yeah so but you can gr- you can grind some uh you know some dragon horns and those can be grinded so that's all good um my breath of the wild related one um is going to be star fragments which i associate with the dragons um as a Another um, thing that leads you to run across the whole map, um, I don't know if you've covered Star Fragments yet on the series. We haven't. I think they've come up in passing. But basically there's like a shooting star sort of situation where you see a sparkle in the sky and it lands somewhere and you're going to, you know, you want to get there before dawn breaks because... uh, 
Otherwise, uh, you're going to lose the trail because it sort of has a, you know, a very shiny um, appearance in the dark that you can sort of follow it to some extent. And it leads you to just be sprinting across the landscape and um, trying to find trying to find them, which I think is uh, quite fun as well. So because that's something that if you're going to be upgrading all of your all of your armor, you're going to encounter some need for star fragments at some point. Yes, I actually did uh, grab a couple star fragments this week as well, and I, I agree that uh, chasing those is actually kind of fun. It, it leads you to places you would not expect. Yeah, those become a lot easier to find as you have more shrines unlocked, and it's you're able to kind of like use warping to cover some of the distance. You know, I was seeing a lot more star fragments early in my playthrough, and they were showing up in places that I just knew I wasn't going to be able to get to in the appropriate amount of time, which is always sad. Yeah. But uh, those star fragments are are a tool that can be used to upgrade a lot of gear. Some of the gear requires star fragments. And so um, the upgrade path on those can be pretty slow because it's total RNG on whether or not you're they're popping up or not. Um, yeah, there, there is are, some level of uh, like being able to understand what the conditions are and that sort of thing. Like I think a common one is the top of the dueling peaks. Um, as a spot where you bring a campfire and you camp out and you set it to 9 p.m. and um, wait for a few hours um, and you have just like a really good view of the um, surrounding area. I found that that one works fairly well because, yeah, I associate them all together with the dragons because I was uh, because I, I was grinding them all so that I could – upgrade all my equipment so i would be like oh here's a good spot to ambush this dragon um you know now i've got to collect some star fragments and um i guess you're 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 doing some sort of weird run where you're not upgrading all your equipment right um uh so matt is doing matt matt's rule playing this time around is he is upgrading his equipment but only as far as it looks like it should be able to be upgraded so yeah so uh, like cloth armor is never going to be all the way maxed up and like the he the champion's tunic is not going to be my highest defense piece of armor because it's just fabric yes fabric yeah uh so like my knight's armor and my ancient armor definitely and fierce deity's armor because it's metal and mostly you know godlike power uh will be fully upgraded but like the um the sheikah armor or the hylian uh tunic or the hylian pants that stuff like that you know maybe one or two upgrades at most yeah yeah Yeah. so but yeah that's a good one cody i mean i think uh star fragments are one of the ultimate bloopy trails in breath of the wild in that uh whenever i see one i will immediately peel off of whatever i'm doing and I will run halfway across the map to try and absolutely, absolutely every time. Yeah, I mean, it, it it kind of it it demands you to be diverted into into just trying to acquire that. So that's a good shout. I like that one quite a lot. Uh, let's get into part five, which is Z targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. Matt, I'm gonna let you go with your Z targeting pick uh, for the week first. Uh, so I'm going to do a little kind of a weird one. I'm going to go with the goddess Hylia, who, uh, even though she is apparently gave up her immortal form and became physically incarnated within Zelda, is still apparently able to talk to us through statues. So um, good for her. Go goddess Hylia. Wow. 
I did not see goddess statues as being a Z targeting pick in the course of this season of the show. But I like it. Yeah, I mean, I, am I wrong? Like, no, dude, no, she's no. seriously like, I thought you were mortal, embodied in Zelda, who is in a weird form of magical stasis battling Ganon, but you're still talking to me through your statues. I'm very confused by that. But, uh, you know, more power to you. Nope, I like that. That's a good good call. Good call. Um, I'm going to go with a, a pretty easy one and just say Nadra. Um, I, I could have gone with any of the dragons for this one, but I really do. I mean, you just you, you get a lot more invested in like Nadra, I guess, as a character in this world, just by virtue of you having to uh, to free that dragon from its its malice situation. Um, I like the encounter around it a lot, and it really makes you feel like you're kind of doing something beneficial for this world. Um, if we take Nadra as being one of three divine presences that uh, kind of safeguards the springs of Hyrule, which in and of themselves are supposed to like the safety of the land, I think is supposed to be bound to those springs. Uh, then it stands to reason that we have done a good and beneficial thing um, in regards to the balance of Hyrule in, uh, in saving the servant of one of those springs. So, yep. Yeah. Uh, Cody, do you have a character that you would like to mention as being excellent <clears throat> in some way? All right. Well, I'll go with Farosh the dragon um, because um, just a much better incarnation than the water dragon um, in Snowstorm, <laughs> uh, who just doesn't know what she's talking about. Just like you save her life and then you come back again to ask for something. And she's like, oh, you must answer my riddles. You must fast my test. And it's like, I already saved your life. Just, you know. Get over it, water dragon. <laughs> just, just give me my dragon scale or whatever it is. I don't remember what we're looking it for. It is there, a dragon scale. Yeah. Just give it to me. Yep. No tad time. So is your, <laughs> so, so is it fair to say that your Z targeting, you don't have a Z targeting pick as much as you have an anti Z targeting pick. Like <laughs> it, it's a little bit less of a, a little bit less of a feature for Farosh the dragon and a little bit more of a, an indictment against Faron <laughs> the water, the water dragon. dragon. Yeah. Look, it's just, a, just a bad dragon. Um, <laughs> He's a bad dragon. He's just really bad at your job. <laughs> oh, 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 I like it. Oof. Oh, I like it. All right, let's move on to part six, which is, of course, our final thoughts, where we let Matt wrap up this section of the game as succinctly as he can think to do. So I think that the the quest for the dragons, as we undertook it in this playthrough, which I know is very out of the ordinary and what probably nobody has ever done in the course of Breath of the Wild, or at least most likely, um, is really one of the most moving, not only geographically, because you move around a lot, but just like emotionally and stylistically uh, parts of the game that showcases so many of the incredible strengths of Breath of the Wild from its region design, from the the places that you visit, the musical cues that accompany each of the dragons, the reusing of many of the beloved places from older Zelda games. Um, if you picked up the memory within the Spring of Power, you even get a, a look into the Zelda-Link relationship as it was 100 years ago. There's just so many things about this 
quest to find the dragons and find the springs of power uh, and courage and wisdom that just bring out so much good in Breath of the Wild. Um, while not being a critical piece to the game in any way, shape, or form, uh, that's almost what makes it one of the best parts because Breath of the Wild is a game about things outside of the main quest and uh this being one of the key excellent love it well that's going to be it for the sacred realms rundown this week y'all we will of course be back next week with another installment of the sacred realms rundown where all we're right coming- who's ready for part seven <laughs> hey, Cody, you gotta let me you gotta let me finish my bit here and then and then it's you and then it's all you. Uh we will be we will be back next week uh with uh chapter eleven of Breath of the Wild, in which we will begin covering our exploration of the desert. Now without further ado, this is the part of the show when we have Cody on where we let him add parts, uh add infinitum uh as he sees fit. <laughs> Who knows what we're gonna get? I don't all right, well, um, as we know, um, part seven is called Cody's Tips and Tricks. Um, and so I, I just wanted to, I, I did note down, um, I have a, I have a few notes in here. Some of them are, uh, some of them are not, not too useful. Um, like one of them says time to wrestle up some varmints, um, which I just thought that's a useful thing to to note down, but <laughs> rassle environments is always useful. Yes. Um, so there was a mention in a previous podcast about the upgrade of Chica slate and it's sort of, you know, what its use might be. Um, I just wanted to mention that uh, what I, I would do with it is I would register rare or um, veins uh, on the upgraded Chica slate. And then, wander through the mountains um, collecting all sorts of uh, all sorts of gems in various forms. So if you get that upgraded yeah, chicken di- yeah. So if you if you tag so if you have like a diamond in your compendium and then you register that on your upgraded Sheikah sensor, will it like if you get close to a piece of ore that has a diamond in it because you can't really you can't tell what one of those pieces of ore has got in it until you break it open um it, does it have like a diamond like preset in there and will your sensor direct you towards it um like i i've basically gone for the rare or um deposits and then that that generally gives you a good chance of getting some of the the better ones oh gotcha I, gotcha gotcha yeah. okay Okay, cool. All right. Well, that's actually a very useful tip because I never thought to do that. Um, I've registered a lot of, you know, I've registered like Lynels and, um, you know, uh, fireflies, I guess, for like when I need to find those and, and for that quest and stuff. But um, I didn't realize that you could actually register uh, rare or deposits. So that's a really good, that's a really good note. What else do you have for us, Cody? All right. Well, um, so Pine 8 is Australia fact, as we know. Um We've already we've already learned that Perth is the Texas uh, of uh, of Australia, um, so that's just a little thing to to keep in mind. Or well, Perth is Perth is the city, so I don't know which city you want to represent Texas. That's the the difference between Australia and Texas is that we basically have one city per state. Um, that's just the big city, you know, got a few million people in it. Um, 
we don't have just like five or six major cities in the same state. Um, but yeah, Western Australia, that's the Texas. Um, have you ever heard of the Great Emu War? The Great what? Emu War or Emu, as they say in America. No. Well, um, there was a the Royal Australian Artillery fought against 20,000 emus in the Great Emu War of 1932. Um, We're talking like emus, the land bird, right? Yeah. Um, Okay. All right. (laughs) So the, the Emu War was a basically a wildlife management military operation um, because they were considered, you know, a nuisance. Um, and so, and this was in Western Australia, I want to say. So, um, you know, the Texas of Australia, um, of course. Yeah. They just said, look, we need to curb the population of, of emus. Um, and so, yeah, they brought in the military. Um, but it wasn't good enough. The emus were too good. A lot of them escaped and, uh, and they declared the war a failure. <laughs> so, so I have to know: did did the the uh, Royal Artillery of Australia formally declare war against the emu? Um, look, it is it is known as the Great Emu War. It has a if you look up Emu War on Wikipedia, it has its own page, um, and it does does list it as a war and it says participants, 20,000 emus, um, <laughs> outcome failure. Um, <laughs> so, so the, the question that I have then Cody, because you can encounter ostrich in, uh, in breath of the wild in various parts of the map. And so, uh, what I'm wondering now is, uh, do you ever find yourself, replaying the emu war the great emu war of australia in the legend of zelda breath of the wild for you as an australian is that like a is that a, a very uh i don't know i guess a cathartic thing that you do you 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 declare your victory over the emu in the game well, when it couldn't happen in real life look luckily there are not twenty thousand of them um that would be too much for link um link would be as powerless <laughs> as the australian military in dealing with the, <laughs> the Great Emu War, um, so, but look, they're look they're they're sort of a symbol of of Australia. Like you know, the kangaroo and the emu are sort of the holding up the Australian sort of you know national emblem. Um, like I've got it on my passport, for example. Um, but they're sort of like I don't know. Like you don't want to get near one. Like they're sort of like a geese sort of situation where it's like you don't want to have to actually deal in person with an emu. Um, so, yeah, they're just uh, – you just have to watch out for them. If you see 20,000 emus and you've come to visit um, the Texas of Australia, there's something <laughs> to keep in mind. Um, it's not just the spiders um, that you have to be on the lookout for so that you can see them first. It's these – you know, it's all these other wildlife that they're not even poisonous, but the fact that they can survive and thrive in the middle of the, you know, with all of these poisonous snakes and spiders, it's like, well, how dangerous are they? How dangerous are these? <laughs> Just 
There's something to wow. think about. Wow, so I think that I think the emu are probably pretty grateful that the uh, venomous spiders and snakes of Australia kind of take all of the heat off of them, right? They're just yeah. they're just sitting in the corner like uh, like yeah, sure, spiders and snakes. That's what the real problem is. He he he. Yeah, says the emu. Yeah, that's right. They're they're just waiting for the next war. They're waiting for emu war two, and they're prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Revenge of the emu. Yeah. <laughs> emu two or electric boogaloo. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, um, Cody. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, as always, parts seven and eight have been wildly enlightening. Um, I didn't ex- I didn't expect a history of the uh, the military of Australia's uh, failed struggle against the indigenous bird life of your continent. But uh, but here we are and I'm happy that it happened. Yeah, look, I'm always I'm always happy to come in and provide parts to um, to the rundown. Um, so part nine was called matt do you intentionally mispronounce a character's name in each game but since we've already covered that um we're gonna go through the part 10 Lyndon, why do you keep pronouncing gerudo as go yudo um, <laughs> yes we're bringing uh, this one up this so, was a popular twitter thread two weeks ago and i'm glad was. we're finally uh roasting Lyndon for something instead of me and ever since it was brought up i've been trying to like cor- correct my pronunciation of it and uh i think i'm at like a like I, I, at about thirty percent of the time, I can intentionally get it to be Gerudo, uh, and the rest of the time, I just default to Giryudo. I could not tell you why uh, why that is a thing that happens, but I guess Matt has had plenty of his own mispronunciations, and so I suppose it was high time that I had one of one of my own. Yeah, look, it's just fascinating to me because the usual mispronunciation of Gerudo is Gerudo. A lot of people take that as a you know mm. a J. Um, kind of situation, a soft G, um, which I can understand because it's like there's no voice acting in Breath of the in sorry, Nocarina of Time. Um, though they should have said Gerudo out loud at some point in Breath of the Wild, right? You would think that they would. I, have. I think I think so. I'm going to be on the lookout for that actually. Now when we go play through that, well, I think you've got that coming up next. So. Um, if you're if if you're listening to any uh any cutscenes um with our friend Urbosa, um maybe you can uh you can figure out if they if they say it out loud. But yeah, I don't know. That's a that's an odd one um in the pronunciation list. So I just wanted to wanted to bring that up. Okay, we'll definitely be on the lookout for it, and uh, I'm willing to admit that I'm wrong on this before even being necessarily proven wrong in-game. I'll just go ahead and take that and put it in the L column, and we'll move on with our lives. All right, well... (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, so part 11 uh, is called... and We we haven't had a part 11 up until now, but it's currently, I think, called part 11... Uh, Matt, do you think this is a real Zelda game yet? Uh, Cody, I don't want to spoil the final episode of the season. Okay. That's that's the whole point of the final episode of the season. I appreciate the the uh, the attempt there, but we'll we'll save that one for what is that episode thir- 17? Uh Well, I don't know. The last one of the season. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. One of those. One of the last ones. The last one we will have probably most of that episode will be dedicated to that discussion. Okay. We will will keep you informed. Okay. Well, that's good because when in a previous episode, um, we had brought up, um, 
the potential of a debate about Breath of the Wild. Um, I think it was in that like a Link's Awakening episode. Um, so I just wanted to wanted to make sure that was still that was still on the on the card so that we can uh, sort that. Oh, out. that is abso- most, absolutely most on the on the table. It shall be hashed out. Fear you not. We may even have a bonus episode with a whole panel where we just let everyone go to town on it. Great. That would be fun. Uh, that well, would be fun. I don't know if you have a part 12 for me, but otherwise I think I'm, I'm all, uh, I'm all <laughs> we're, <set>. tapped out. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's pushing 11 PM over here. So we're tapped out just on time. Uh, so as much as I would love to continue adding parts, I'm sure I could think of some good ones. We'll have to stick those in the bank and, and, and pull them out next time. I do want to say that, uh, as always, it's been a real pleasure having you on Cody. Um, uh, you know, this is the the shortest gap from uh, between episodes for you that we've had up until now. Uh, and I think that we've covered some really awesome stuff. Breath of the Wild has just got so many different things that we can talk about. And so um, I, I think, as always, you brought up some really interesting and good points and a lot of things that Matt and I had not even considered. So uh, many thanks to you for coming back on. And it shan't be the last time. Yeah, well, I will. I will see you back for, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> whatever you're doing next um and uh, look we don't even it. know that yet mm. yep uh that reminds me matt we need to get a poll going sometime in the next week or two uh we definitely do and we will be doing a top-down zelda game and uh, so will. that will be a fun little poll for everyone to vote in if you're on our patreon which is a good segue to our outro i believe yes indeed it is um before we get into the outro one thing that we do on the show every now and again is when we have a good new user review on apple Podcasts. i like to read that out we actually have several since the last time we did this we got three or four in the month of may mm-hmm. um there's a particularly excellent one here that i uh, i really appreciated this uh apple podcast review comes from snow and ice for life uh where they say i live where the nintendo nerds are sparse and talk of zelda is strange and some Sometimes I wish I had someone to talk with about nerd stuff. This podcast feels very much like that place for me to do so. This is one of the few podcasts where the hosts do an amazing job of both structuring content and developing a connection with their viewers. I finished Ocarina of Time for the first time by playing along with you guys. I know it took me long enough. And I'm currently playing along in my first master mode run of Breath of the Wild. I've shouted yes and no. That's what I thought and more at my phone while listening. And though it makes you feel pretty dumb afterwards, it's really fun to have something to look forward to no matter what every week keep on keeping on guys uh snow and ice for life we really appreciate that uh really fun to learn that there that there are people who are playing some of these classic zelda games for the first time along with our podcast Mm -hmm. i think we had always hoped that that might be something that people would want to do uh if they ever discovered us and um and you know i I like to believe that it happens uh a good amount of the time Uh, a lot of people are zelda fans who have only played uh, two or three Zelda games. And of course we're trying to cover all of them. So definitely really appreciate that. Um, people are enjoying listening along to our show while experiencing a Zelda game for the first time. Absolutely. We love to see it. It's the whole reason we started the podcast in the first place. Yep. Matt, you ready to get out of here? I am ready. Let's do it. All right, y'all, if you enjoyed today's show and you'd like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it is not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. 
More reviews means that more people see our show, and that makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Breath of the Wild Chapter 11. We would love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Breath of the Wild can be played on the Nintendo Switch or the Nintendo Wii U. In the meantime, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We will catch y'all next week. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameShops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.